I have with me today a, a gentleman that I've wanted to meet for several years, and I finally got to uh, to meet him in Texas a few months ago. And uh, and you all are going to know who he is, and you're going to know his story. But he is so much more than uh, his story in November of 2017. Stephen Williford, welcome to the show. Oh, such an honor to uh, be able to go on a show, especially one that that represents police officers and our men and women in blue. Uh, what an honor! I tell I back the blue thin blue line like you can't believe because I, and I tell everybody, you know, nobody else is going to constantly to sign up and to run into danger and put their life on the line for you, and they don't even know who you are. Well, and you know what that feels like because uh, you're not a cop, but you had um, an, uh, the unfortunate opportunity to have to run toward the shots, run into danger, run into the unknown in your own community in Sutherland Springs, Texas. Can you talk about that day for a minute? Well, you know, uh, that morning I, I had got up and said, told my wife that I wasn't going to go to church because uh, normally we went to church about 40 miles up the road. And I was going to start an on-call at the hospital where I worked. So I was going to have to carry a pager 24-7. And uh, so I was relaxing. And uh, my daughter came into the room to tell me that there was someone shooting up the church. And uh, I ran to my safe. I grabbed a rifle, an AR-15, and ran out the door. I was barefoot. That's why they call me the Barefoot Defender now. Uh, and I'm okay with that. Uh, and people ask me, I can't believe you ran across the street with no shoes on. And, and I said, you're lucky I had pants on. It'd be a different story altogether. <laughs> but uh, um the reality is, is I didn't have time to put on shoes. I knew that every shot counted. Every shot that I was hearing was meant for somebody I cared about. And uh, I, I never thought in my life I would be the guy running into gunfire. But you have to ask yourself, what's tomorrow going to look like? You know, think about it. If If you think about whether you would run into a battle like that or not, Think about what the next day is going to look like. And you need to make that preparation before it happens. Because tomorrow could look very different from some for some people. In fact, if you don't run out there and stop it, some people's tomorrow won't happen. Well, and that is so profound because as, as we're seeing now, um, we have less police officers on the street. Um, you know, we have rising crime. And so now more than ever before, American citizens are going to have to protect themselves when the police can't be there. Um, sometimes, isn't that correct? Well, I, you know, and I, I talk to crowds all, all over this country. And again, I always, I always support our law enforcement, but I even tell the law enforcement themselves and everybody else that are at it. Police are second responders. They call them first responders. N no, and, and I don't mean any disrespect in that at all, but you're second responders because if you're in a shootout and, and you're where it starts, uh, you're the first one that can respond. 
And and Chris Bird wrote a book, and the subtitle of the book was When Seconds Count, Police Are Only Minutes Away. And now with the attitudes of uh, some of our politicians and stuff with defund the police, and that's the absolute opposite of what we need. We need more good police officers out there. We need more training for police officers. We don't need to, we need better equipment for the officers. And, and um, we don't need to defund the police. We need to fund them. Because every time you start defunding police and cutting down on the numbers and stuff, and used to be, uh, you know, the old, the old TV show, Adam 12, they, they, they rode around in a car together. There were two officers per car. And now we've decided that, uh, well, we don't need to do that, that, you know, uh, puts too much in money in one car and stuff. And, and now a police officer has to wait for backup, you know, where before officers had their backup in the car. We need to end and look at the crime stats. When the more you defund police officers and and take money away from training and and uh, things like that, the uh, more crime runs rampant. Well, and here's the thing: is so after the Sutherland Springs shooting, you you kind of became the face of the armed trained citizen uh, that was willing to step in and and now that's one of the things you talk to people about around the country right for you know for gun owners of america because because you know you were prepared um not just tactically and physically but you were obviously also mentally prepared what do you want people to think about um whether they're just you know going to church sitting in their house like you were um, going out and about to their, you know, doing their daily business. What do you want people to think about in regards to not only their own safety and the legal carry of a firearm, but the safety of their community? Well, so you touched on it when you said mental preparedness, because all the physical and everything, all the training in the world, um, if it, it, if you don't have that mental preparedness, uh, doesn't do you any good. You can know what to do, but if your feet don't motivate and get into that battle. And so, uh, you know, it. I I truly believe God wires some of us differently. And, and some of the ones that he wires differently, they put on a badge and become a police officer. And in the industry, you call it sheepdogs. And and I truly believe that I was a sheepdog from day one because I, I used to shoot on a on a church or pistol team. And it was funny because we'd go to police departments because we'd clean up their trophies. Our team would go and clean up trophies when they had a shoot that was open to the public. But we used to train, we used to compete. And one of the our our team members, we had a team of five. One of our team members was a San Antonio police officer, a former army ranger, and he was one of our centers. Well, that's what we called our police, our shooting team. And he would help train me in between competitions, never thinking that I would ever use something like this. But I always caught myself, even with my kids, way before this happened, when I went into a restaurant, the seat in the corner with the back against the wall, looking out 
over the crowd. That was the gunfighter seat, and that was dad's seat. And so my children, when they were growing up, would run over and sit in the gunfighter seat, knowing that I would throw them out. And it became a big game for them. And but I don't, it, you know, and you know what that did? It made them aware. I, my husband and I fight over that seat when we go out and uh, because we're both, uh, we both carry guns and, uh, and you're right. It, I, you know, it made your children aware, right. Of why you were sitting in there. Did you ever talk to the kids about what would happen if dad did have to take action and, and use that gunfighter seat, as you call it? Oh, we, yeah, we talked about it, but they kind of laughed me off and thought I was, you know, like I say, it became a game for them. And they knew that I was going to throw them out of that seat. But it became a game for them. But then after November 5th, 2017, they realized how serious it was. And the next time we went out as a big family and they have their own spouses and their own children now. And we all went out to dinner and I looked over and my gunfighter seat was sitting there waiting for me. They they were seated before me and my seat was there waiting for me because they realized it's a real thing and I'm serious about it. And uh, the games and the jokes are over. Absolutely. You know, I remember in uh, in the media aftermath of your shooting, that there were there were people who uh, anti-gun people, of course, who said that you shouldn't you uh, you know violence should not be met with further violence, and and there was a lot of comment about that you grabbed an the evil AR-15. Um, you know, what were your thoughts when you first started to see that media coverage? Well, I got I got a whole lot of uh, bad stuff from the media some of the media tried to make me look like i was some sort of vigilante running around looking for a fight that's far from the truth uh but i would tell police officers my gun's never your problem it may be your salvation someday it may be the solution but it's never your problem and i would ask so joe biden himself said that i shouldn't have had that ar-15 and my question to Joe Biden, if I could ever ask him a question, if it was his wife and Hunter sitting in the pews, would he have really cared what kind of gun I used to stop? And somebody somebody in the media, I do five to six radio shows a week, and they put me on with a liberal radio show. And he said, I don't want some Larry Moe and Curly like yourself coming to rescue me. I'll wait for the police. I said, really, would you really wait for the police? They were five to seven minutes behind me. Would you wait for the police with a maniac and a gun inside a church building and you can't go anywhere? Or would you rather a person like myself come and stop a shooter? I hit the shooter six out of six times. I pulled the trigger of my rifle six times. He had on class three body armor, a ballistic helmet. I hit him six out of six shots. He hit the truck in front of me. He shattered the windshield of the car behind me. He hit the house behind me. Would you rather wait for the police? And that's the thing. You are, you know, proficient with your firearms, uh, you know, because you do train with them. And, and one of the things I want you to emphasize is, you know, you talked about being on a pistol team and all that. Um, shooting's fun, isn't it? You know, the, the, the shooting sports um is is uh something that is really enjoyable isn't it 
It's golfing, but for men. <laughs> hey, I do it too. Okay, well, <laughs> and women, some women like golfing too, but but it, it's to me, it's a lot more fun and a lot more relaxing than golfing. Right. Uh, I I really enjoy it. And, and I would tell your audience, and I would even tell the police officers that are watching, if you're just going and you're qualifying on a flat target standing in one spot, that's not real training. That's 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 practicing marksmanship. And, and in a real life, real world situation where you're being shot at, if you're standing in one spot shooting back, you're the target. You just don't know it. So you should be training, moving, and shooting at the same time. And and I did until I found that truck to run for cover. And I, it's okay to run for cover. This guy had on body armor and a ballistic bulletproof helmet and stuff, and I didn't. But I ran behind a uh, Dodge pickup with a 6.2 V8 Hemi in it. And that was the best body armor I could have found. Absolutely. You know, when we talk about gun ownership in this country, um, we see that that again now with the rise in as crime rises, the we see a rise in um, gun ownership. You know, lawful gun ownership, and and that's one of the things that Gun Owners of America promotes. Talk about why private ownership is so important and, and why people need to know what GOA is all about. Okay, why gun ownership is so important. And this was really telling. Recently, the FBI just released its newest statistics on uh, active shooters and mass shooters in this country. And, it, and what the FBI said is that only 4% of mass shootings are stopped by non-law enforcement uh, civilians. But what John Lott did, John Lott, he's a statistician. He does stats. <laughs> I can't say that word. <laughs> but what he did is he took all the numbers and he pulled out all the numbers of the mass shootings that happened in gun-free zones. And all the mass shootings that happen is 94% of the, the shootings that happen are in gun-free zones because the shooters know that no civilians can stop them. So he took that out of the stats because non-law enforcement men and women aren't going to be there with their guns for the most part. Right. And he took the rest of them that were not gun-free zones and he compiled that data from 2014 to 2021, in not gun-free zones, there were 204 shootings in America, mass shootings. And out of the 204, 104 of them were stopped by non-law enforcement civilians. That's over 50% of the time. And what did I tell you before is, is that when seconds count, police are minutes away. You're your own first responder. And what was interesting from that stat also is there wasn't one innocent bystander hit by the guy that stopped the shooting. So that's important to say too, because this guy called me Larry Moe and Curly because he was afraid that I was going to hit him. And that doesn't prove to be the case. Civilians with guns 
non-law enforcement or the bigger, we outnumber the police department and we have the ability to save ourselves and other people around us. That's an important stat. Why do you think uh, guys like that radio host you talked about, why, why do you think he has such a, um, a frankly, an insulting view of, uh, of gun owners like you and me, you know, calling uh, you Larry, you know, Moe and Curly? I, I honestly believe that he believes that if you just ban guns altogether, that that's the solution to the problem. But, uh, you know, you play that game and and do you think the criminals are going to turn in the guns? Absolutely not. So if the good guys turned in their guns, then there'd just be criminals with guns on the streets. Who's going to stop them then? The police? Well, again, the police will do the best. And it's that same side of the aisle that wants to defund the police. So they want to take y'all's guns away from you. And then they they don't want us to have guns either. Who's going to be left? Is the criminals. Yeah, and there's, there's really a... Uh... There's a chaos happening um, that is seems to be furthered by certain activists and and uh, you know people who want absolutely uh, no guns or only the government to have guns, which would be law enforcement, and uh, and that just that's not the United States of America, is it? That's not our our that's not our founding, and it's it's certainly not our constitution and it's not the way americans do things is it let's take a little slice of america let's go back and look at so what drives what is america and america is depicted on television a lot let's go back and look at the andy griffith show because this is what we need to return to uh the sheriff walked through the town and talk to the people. Everybody was a friend of Andy's. You know? And the sheriff and Barney took care of all the legal needs, which were very minor, <laughs> by the way. Uh, because it was that kind of, there's where we were in this country at the time. Everybody knew the sheriff. Or the, the law enforcement, the police chief, or whatever. And he walked among everybody and everybody appreci appreciated him. And we had good moral values. And that's where we were in this country then. Now look at today's television because it reflects our culture and everything else. And it's sad how far we've come from a comedy called The Andy Griffith Show to now the streets of New York or whatever it is where violence and crime runs rampant and stuff. And, uh, and what the media does to myself and to you guys, especially to you guys daily, you know, uh, they take one incident of one bad cop that did a bad thing and they put that out there and blast it. And they have to search real hard to find that. But when they do find it, they try to make it look like the norm. Our media is killing us as a nation and dividing us. Uh, 
there's bad cops out there. And 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 a bad cop is a good cop's worst nightmare. And it's it's time that we get back. I was taught that if anything ever happened when I was a little boy, look for a police officer. Look for a police officer. He will help you. He or she will help you. Look for a police officer. November 5th, 2017. I never wanted to see red and blue lights more in my life than that moment. I had done everything that I could, and I had done it all right. But as I was standing out there at the crash scene, and I did not know whether he was alive or dead, and I'm staring down the sights of my own rifle, I never wanted to see police more in my life to come take this responsibility from me at this point and and get me out of this. Stephen Wilford, you, your story is an amazing one. Where can people find out more about you and about Gun Owners of America? Well, first go to gunowners.org and please look around there. See some of the things that we're doing and the, the battles that we're fighting. We're for getting rid of gun-free zones altogether. We're for arming and training teachers, not forcing teachers to be armed and trained, but we are for... Uh, those teachers that would to be able to carry in a classroom, to be able to stop a shooter. Well, we appreciate you spending time with us today. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Put the gun down! Put the gun down! Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.